Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. As you guys may know, I'm Pastor Harold here at Christ Fellowship, and this is my lovely wife, Diane Boyd, Elder Boyd. Everybody give a hand for the lovely Elder Boyd. And today we're going to talk about something that is a little controversial. I ain't going to lie. It's a little, so for me, it's a little, you know, I like to keep myself private, but you know what? The truth is the truth, amen? So we're going to share some truths today, and I hope you're, you're ready for that. We're going to definitely talk about the real deal, the, what's the real thing, and what's the counterfeit thing. And so if you're ready for, how many ready for the real deal? You want the realness. You don't want the fake stuff. We don't want to live in the fake anymore, amen? If that's you, come on, let's, uh, if you're tuning in, put it in the chat. She hates when I say that. Put it in the chat. We want the real deal. Amen? You want the real deal, right? Amen? So let's bow our heads and pray and desire for God to bring his truth. Father, we thank you so much for always being faithful and showing us your truth, God. For, Lord, we desire nothing more than to follow you in the way that you designed it, God, in the things that you desire for us to do, God. We don't want to follow lies. We don't want to follow those things that will distract us and keep us from being in your presence, Lord. So today, God, speak to us. We step out of the way. And like the song said, God, we make room for you to do whatever you want to, God, in our hearts and in our lives. And Father, we respond by giving you our best yes. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. So we're going to talk about the book of that's usually known as the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. Anybody know about that book? (laughs) Yeah. All right. So the Song of Solomon is also known as the Song of Songs. It's a book of poetry or songs that some scholars believe was written by King Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived. Since Solomon is also known as the king who had 700 wives and 300 side pieces, I mean, concubines, it seems hard to believe that he once knew the kind of love that we see played out in the poetry of this book. It is said that Solomon wrote over 1,000 songs for maybe one of each of his wives. If so, this one would have been his best Since in the Hebrew language, there are no superlatives, this would be like saying it's not just a song of Solomon, but this is the song of Solomon. The Song of Song contains eight chapters, all praising and giving love to voice, um, giving voice to love. In the flowery, poetic language of this book, there are three main characters, the Shulamite woman, the man, and their friends. It begins with the woman wishing for a kiss from her man. 
And in verse, in chapter eight, verse six, with the acknowledgement that love is as strong as death and its burning fire cannot be quenched even by a river. She urges him to come away with her. Their love is both fulfilling and equally matched. She desires him and he desires her. She belongs to him and he belongs to her. Now throughout this book, both man and woman uses flattering and often precious language to describe their attraction for each other. He calls her beautiful. In chapter one, he calls her beautiful and darling. In chapter two, he calls her the lily among her among the thorns and his dove in the clefts of the rocks. And she calls him handsome and beloved in chapter one. <clears throat> and in chapter two, the young stag on the rugged hills. As the desire strengthens, they become more confident in the expressions of adoration, calling her the one, calling him the one that my heart loves in chapter three. She declares his arms are rods of set in topaz and body like polished ivory, while he celebrates her beauty in comparisons to lush pomegranates, flowing waterfalls, likening her legs to jewels and her hair to royal tapestry. Okay, now, this is where, uh, just pray for me. As the song <laughs> reaches its climax in chapter 7, I see Jen laughing because it's going to get a little <laughs> racy here. He proclaims his intentions, his intentions to climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit, which even today, there's no need for translation. We all get it, right? right. If you don't say amen, then um, we're we going to pray for you. You must be really pure at heart. All right. She affirms in turn, I belong to my beloved. And his desire is for me. Chapter 7, this advance from her lover is a welcome event. And there's no shame in their game. It's like the honeymoon night for all of y'all married folks. Theirs is a love in complete harmony. A sort of love that the Lord himself established in the very beginning. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, Adam says this. This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of me. The Song of Song echoes these same themes, reflecting a love created by God and meant to complement and revel in each other and in the Lord. And Hallmark had nothing on Solomon. Men, if you ever are looking for a one-liner to add to Watch out. a love letter or birthday or anniversary card, Solomon's got you covered. <clears throat> In chapter 4, verse 9, he says, You have made my heartbeat faster with a single glance from your eyes. In chapter 7, verse 6, he says, How beautiful and how pleasing you are, my love. How happy you make me. In uh, chapter 4, verse 7, he says, you are altogether love, beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. In chapter 3, verse 4, he says, I have found the one who my soul loves. Now, in Pastor Carlos has been talking about these books of wisdom, and he mentioned, you know, the five of them last week. There's five books of Hebrew poetry or wisdom. We first talked about Job, Psalms, Proverbs, 
And last week was Ecclesiastic. Well, this book is about relationships. We learned from the story that Eddie shared in Proverbs that love misdirected can be dangerous and lead to destruction. Everybody remember that story? How the lady led the, lady led the, uh, the young man away and those attentions were misdirected and it led to destruction. Well, this love story is the opposite. It reminds us that love the way God designed can be romantic, passionate, and fulfilling. This is a picture of love in the Song of Songs. It is the real deal. The world's view on love is the counterfeit. And even if intentions are good, if they're misdirected, it can never match to the splendor of what God has for us. See, today we're talking about God being the real deal, the genuine article, and the counterfeit would be Satan and his way of distorting what the real deal is. See, love the way God designed is made to be natural. God put such a priority on love and the union of man and woman that he created our bodies so that we would fit, literally. Got quiet in here. Whoa, yeah. Amen. So love making originated within the mind of God. Did he create captivating sunsets and undersea wonders only to mess up when it came to figuring out what sex or gender was all about? He used the same astonishing ability to design people for deep intimacy. See, I didn't say sex. I said intimacy. Everybody say intimacy. You see, it was an afterthought, but it was not an afterthought, but something that he had foresight in and created us appropriately. We were all made and fearfully and wonderfully made and designed for intimacy. Knowing, as th- knowing this as a Christian, we should, not, we should understand that sex within marriage is not dirty or shameful, yet it is beautiful and soul connecting, and God delights in it. The Bible even says that God delights in the marriage bed. Knowing that God's design for love is the genuine article, anything else other than that is counterfeit. Now, this is what I want you to understand. Satan is a copycat, and he perverts what God designs. And so we want to know how to distinguish the original article or the genuine article from the counterfeit. So we're going to learn three ways to distinguish it so that you are not deceived by the enemy or drawn away from what God designed. So there's three ways that we can tell, and the difference are between the real deal and the, um, the counterfeit. One, I want you to understand this. We're going to talk about how the first way is that God's design for love is forever. Okay, let's understand that God's design. You're looking at 27 years, and I know there's more than more than that out here. But it's his design for love and intimacy is forever. Meanwhile, Satan uses this thing that lasts for only a moment. And it's temporary. So we're going to talk about that right now. The first way we can tell that the real deal from a counterfeit is that God intended for love to be forever. A lifelong commitment. A covenant between 
a man and woman before God. The counterfeit version of love is Satan. It portrays the portrayal is temporary. It's selfish. It's all about self-gratification, not about giving of the other. And it's irresponsible. It's disrespectful. It's irreverent. See, God ordained love between husband and wife. It lasts forever in many ways. And the longer you the longer you are together, the longer you are together, your love for each other grows. We see this in our two lovers, the intensity of their love. From chapter 1 to chapter 8, the magnetism between the two grows to the point where she compares the pull of love to be as strong as death. That's pretty deep. It's almost like she's saying, I can't live without you. She wants to do life with him. As we marry and spend more intimate times together with each other, our love grows. And this is God's design. He gave us the gift of sex so that we can not only procreate, but also that we can experience physical and soul-fulfilling love. And that's what we're all chasing after, soul-fulfilling love, that intimacy that fulfills to the core of your soul. You know, that's where we get the term, this is my soulmate. Can you say that about your husband? Can you say that about your wife? This is my soulmate. I see, I, see a, I see a witness over here. This is my soulmate. Some of y'all saying, this is my friend. This is my boo. It's all right. Hopefully by the end of the day, you'll start saying, this is my soulmate. The world would tell us, well, let me not get ahead of myself. Man-made love is rarely permanent. See, how many times have you heard people uh, tell you that they've fallen out of love with their spouses? That Things aren't the way they were in the beginning, and they are no longer drawn to them. Their satisfaction, which is selfish, their satisfaction in the relationship is fading. The world would tell us that this is a natural thing, and it's even normalized in today's culture. We as humans evolve and change, and it's not always possible that we change and that our feelings for our spouse stays the same. There are many times, as many times as I think I understand my wife, after 27 years, she's laughing. After 27 years, I'm still learning my wife. There's times when I, I laid, I, I slept on the couch. She was upstairs in the bedroom. Because you know what? As she changed and grew, I was learning. But I didn't, just because we had a little argument and, I, and a misunderstanding, it wasn't fading because it, you know, we were falling out of love. We were growing. We were making history that will last a lifetime. You see, man-made love is about self. And once, as the prophet B.V. King said, the thrill is gone, the relationship is over. I just don't have that thrill anymore, so the relationship is over. This is evident in the stats of recent years from Pew Research Center. The percentage of adults ages 25 to 54 who are currently married fell from 67% in 1990 to 53% in 2020. 
2019, which means the divorce rate increased. Marriage is not a popular choice among the newer generation. They're marrying later in life. And that is even if they choose to marry. At the same time, couples living together or shacking up has more than doubled. So people that were living together in 1990, that was 4%. Now it's 9%. So it more than doubled in 2019. Adults in this same age bracket, 25 to 54, who have never been married, also has grown. So there are people that are not even considering marrying another. And it's grown from 17%, get this, to 33%. So these things in this today's culture, it's, it's the man-made counterfeit of love is doubling the stats. But, however, there's one thing I do want to mention here. Men and women, on average, married men and women, on average, make more money and have more education than the unmarried. This proves God's design as two are better than one in a good marriage, and we make each other better. She makes me better. And I hope he makes me. I hope too. it's of course. She said, of course. OK, I'm good. <laughs> Continue. Another way we can test to see if a love is the real deal or counterfeit is does the love reflect God's kingdom or does it reflect the world's culture? See, God's design for relationship is that we would reflect God's unconditional love to the world. In the Song of Solomon, the woman shares with her friends how splendid and how perfect their love is. Hello, girlfriends. She, she is the example for the daughters of Jerusalem of a godly, chaste, and pure relationship, looks like. In the New Testament, Paul teaches us that our marriage should reflect God's love. Paul starts in Ephesians 5 with, follow God's example Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there, should, there must not be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. You see, these verses, God wanted his people to reflect his love. And in order to do that, we are called to be pure before him. He calls this to the married and the single, that we should reflect God's love in all that we do. Um, And then in verses 21 through 25, he gives us explicit instructions to the husbands and the wives. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, Uh as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this is a scripture that's preached many times about marriage. You hear this all the time. And honestly, as a young person, I hated that sermon. 
I am a take charge kind of girl. Anyone who knows me knows I like to be in control. I am a take charge kind of girl. Amen. <laughs> so if I was made that way, why would God make it so that I would have to just submit to someone else? Why would he give me these uh, take charge kind of personality if I just had to commit to someone else? So I struggled. Um, now I see, though, that the relationship that Paul is painting is actually not to stifle me, but to make me the best that I can be. You see, I married a man who loves God with all his heart. He dwells with his Savior daily. He speaks to God, and God in turn speaks to him. Is he perfect? Does he do everything right? Nope. But I can trust he will lead me and my family on a path that is good and will bring me no harm. He loves God, which helps him loves me, and that helps me love him. As a young person, I had it wrong. I thought the husband had it easy. It's easy to be in charge. But that's really not true. You see, the husband sets the tone for the whole relationship. Mm. Mm. Women give what they get. Mm. And if a husband is living a life upright before God, he will always put his wife and his family first. And there is nothing in this world more sexy than that. (laughs) When our relationships are of his kingdom, not only are we solid and fulfilled, but we reflect God's love to the world. Our kids, our coworkers, our friends, they get to see God's design in action. Today in the culture, the world's culture, anything goes. Love is love, right? Who are we to say what love should look like? Tolerance and acceptance in our culture equals love. I don't believe in coincidences, and I know that the last two years, the end of May, we've been preaching about Song of Solomon as we go into the month of June, and I believe that's on purpose. You see, in the kingdom, the love looks like the two lovers in in Song of Solomon, the man and the woman. It really is that simple. One plus one equals two. This is why God included the book of poetry in his word. He wants us to see for ourselves what love should look like. Pornography, casual sex, living together, Tinder, same-sex marriage, all of this is the cultural norm, and it has put marriage, as God intended, in crisis in America. Unfortunately, our kids are at the forefront of this spiritual battle. The enemy would like to take this generation out. They are bombarded with influencers, teachers, TV shows, even superheroes who have distorted what kingdom love should look like. And teens are having sex earlier and are more confused than ever. A Wall Street Journal article in 2006 stated that sexually active teenagers, teenage girls, are more than three times as likely to be depressed and nearly three times as likely to attempt suicide. Um, they can't sleep, they mutilate themselves, and they have every symptom of distress. That was in 2006. In 2019, 13% of adolescents reported having more depressive episode, and that's 60% more than in 2007. Our teens are in trouble, and their culture is willing to sacrifice them. This is why it's more important than ever that before 
that we work hard to keep our marriages pure so that we can reflect God's love to the world. Those of us that have the real deal have an obligation to let our light shine so that the world can see there is another way. We also have to be careful that we don't let the culture of religion or legalism guide us. For many years growing up in the church, sex was taboo. It was almost secretive. Like, we never talked about it at home. You know, I was very conservative, and, and, you know, I wasn't allowed to watch much TV as a child. Like, even late-night sitcoms, I wasn't even allowed near the TV for that kind of stuff. So sex was like a mystery to me. Um, When I started feeling those feelings as a young adult, I assumed it meant I was bad Mm. or carnal. Mm. I allowed the feelings of shame and guilt to convince me that I was bad and I would never be able to be right before God or a man. Unfortunately for my husband, I brought that baggage into our marriage. I had a love-hate relationship with sex for many years. I had it all wrong. I thought it was about how I felt about it or how I viewed it. But then I realized that the truth was it wasn't about me. It was about us. You see, having sex with your husband, lovemaking with your husband, is good for your husband, and it's good for your marriage, and it's good for me. Um, Sex within marriage is good, and it didn't matter what I thought I learned as a young adult. God had to show me that it was good for me to have to, to have these feelings with my husband. So now, well, I'm glad we got an amen. Um, <laughs> so now we've learned the two, the two ways to know the, the real deal from the counterfeit. The love that God designed is forever. And the way that the enemy has, the, the cult, the, the, the way the enemy has used the, the device that the enemy has used in man-made love is temporary. Then the second thing we've learned is love within the kingdom, how God's children are to love God as well as each other within marriage and with relationships with our brothers and sisters. But also culture, we find, has found a way to deceive us from doing that. And it has robbed us. It has robbed the kingdom, the king's kids, of how God designed it. Now we're going to talk about the final distinction between the real deal and counterfeit. The final test of counterfeit of love is intimacy versus lust. Somebody say lust. What a word, right? Even saying it feels dirty, right? Lust. But intimacy Unless there's a difference. How deep is your relationship? Can you, talk to you, to, can you talk to your wife or your spouse about everything? Your shortcomings, your feelings? Do you know what she or, or, or do you know what she or he's thinking with just one look? See, I can look at my wife, and there's a certain look. That's intimacy. It is a certain look, trust me. But when you get to know your spouse, you will see the difference. You'll know that transparency, being transparent in a safe place. So let's talk about the real deal, intimacy. The author, Timothy Keller, said, to be loved 
but not known is comforting, but it's superficial. It's like me coming up to you and saying, hey, man, I love you. How you doing? I got love for you. I don't know you, but, you know, we got, I got love for you. But to be known and not loved, that's our greatest fear. How many of us, how many of us want to be, not be loved even though we're known? That's our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, that's a lot like being loved by God. God fully knows you, shortcomings and all. And he truly loves you in spite of it all. How many glad about that? Amen. Intimacy is also defined as the closeness or blending of hearts. It allows us to see into our spouse and our spouse into us as well. God designed all of us with the need to be loved and known. His desire for all of us is that we dwell in intimacy in his presence. See, only true intimacy and only true love is found in the presence of God. I'm going to say that one more time. Only true love and intimacy is found in the presence of God. He is the only one that can truly fill that void in us that needs to be filled. There's a hole in our heart that God, only God can fill. That's true intimacy. The most intimate thing you can do with your spouse or anyone, how many, how many think they know what's the most intimate, intimate thing you could do? I'm about to break that bubble. The most intimate thing you can do is prayer. Praying with your spouse is one of the most intimate things you can do. You ever heard the term of family that prays together? It's not just the saying. Because God's presence is in the midst of that. All the other stuff, it's all about self-gratification. But God's presence is in the midst of prayer. See, There's unity in prayer. There's no disagreements in prayer. There's no selfish agendas in prayer. It's all about our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See, and God knows this. That's why the most most intimate thing you can do is pray because his presence is in the midst. And he knew this even at the beginning of time, in the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden. But since God, see, in the beginning, God and Adam were together. It was just Adam. But God is a God of community, and he wanted to make him better. So being a good father that he, did, he, he is, he knew Adam could not be alone. He gave Adam Eve so that on earth it could be an example for us to know physical, spiritual, and emotional intimacy. It's only through the presence of God that as I spend time with God, I learn what real love is and what intimacy is. And in that, I can truly love and truly know my wife. So now, everybody say intimacy. I know some of y'all are like, ooh, that sounds good. That's what I want. And I hope that's what you're saying. 
Because that's what we need to desire that, to shoot for that. Because you know what? On the counterfeit side, this is the easy thing for us to fall into. Somebody say lust. Ooh, what a dirty word. Lust. Let's talk about what lust. Now, this is the counterfeit. A passionate desire for something. It's a passionate desire for something. An unbridled passion so strong that one would be willing to do almost anything to satisfy the flesh, no matter the cost or who it would hurt. So it doesn't matter about who's involved. It doesn't matter about the other person. It's all about what I want, and I'll do anything to get it. See, lusting after something can take the place of God in your heart. And whatever takes the place of God, what do we call that? All the preachers don't say nothing. All, who, that's right. It's an idol. So whatever you're desiring, and it takes up all that time and space in your life, that's an idol. And Satan uses these idols. And we allow these idols to separate us from God. God, I know I love you, but I want this so bad. I, I know I need you, but I want this so bad. What's happening? I'm being pulled toward this, but I'm being pulled away from this. That's what lust does. Because it's all, and when it gets into your heart, it's all over. I mean, have you ever wanted something or someone that didn't belong to you? And did this person or thing take up most of your thoughts? Your feelings and emotions, I got to have that. I want that. Some of us have struggled with those thoughts, right? Well, we have to understand, well, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 29, Jesus talks about this lustful desire. Listen up, married folk. You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery which is one of the Ten Commandments, right? But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within his or her heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away because it is better for you to lose one part of the body than for the whole body to be thrown in hell. God wants all or nothing. He's a jealous God. He wants all of you. The question is, does the, is the lust so strong that it takes all of you away from God? Now, if your eye lusts, is it worth your whole body being separated from God and going to hell? If this is going to cause me to be separated from God, God is saying, you got to want him enough to take that out to prioritize your intimacy with God to a point where if it's this, this got to go, all or nothing. Amen? It sounds a little extreme, but that's the priority we need to have. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 through 18. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Another word for the world, culture. The world and its desires pass away 
temporary. But whoever does the will of God, I said, whoever does the will of God lives forever. Somebody say forever. You can't beat that. The real deal lasts forever. Amen? What we have to understand is these, the lust of the eye and the flesh and the pride of life, these are the gateways to the soul, which is where the seat of our emotions are. Whatever your emotions are drawn to, that drives you to that very thing. Today's culture thrives on the validation of one's feelings or emotions. I feel like this, go for it. If it feels right, go for it. Whatever happened to if it is right? See, that's a truth. Find a truth or your truth. But how many know there is the truth? Whatever happened to the truth? The word of God. The following of God's word. That is the truth. It doesn't matter how you feel. Because we don't go by our emotions. We follow what God says, the truth. So that's why there's a battle for that. See, kingdom affirms one's faith in the truth, the word of God, and the way God designed it to be. Now, in today's culture, pornography has created a generation of men that no longer know how to respond to real, live, flesh and blood women. They've lost respect for women, and they require flat paper women, dancing computer graphics, or multiple partners to feed their fetishes and self-pleasuring. Psychologists call this enslavement of their minds. Enslavement, that sounds very familiar, right? I'm no longer a slave. Enslavement, the enemy uses these, these devices to enslave you, to bring you in another word, bondage. And what they call these things is sexual addictions. That, that sounds familiar too, addictions. I can't help myself. Lust will bring you to a place where if you get in too deep, you're in bondage. I remember back when I was younger in Christ Fellowship, the men's ministry, shout out to Phil, all my boys. The men's ministry at that time went through a series called Every Man's Battle. How many remember that? I know some of us OGs. How many OGs we got? Okay. Every Man's Battle. Every Man's Battle was about, it dealt with the fact that being men, we created as visual and physical beings that can find themselves struggling with desires that can consume us to the point where it becomes idols and takes the place of God in our hearts and our lives. See, there's nothing wrong, men. We felt we were wrong because we are visual men, but God created us that way. We also felt like when we, we, you know, we're physical beings and things like that, we felt like it was a wrong thing. Those are strong, wrong desires. But placed in the raw, now when they consume you and that becomes the most important thing, that's when it becomes an idol. But God has given us those desires and wired us that way. As you see in Song of Solomon, he wired us that way to be able to desire someone within the confines of kingdom. See, there's a difference here. 
Now, don't get me wrong. Women have struggles, too. Hey, women, if, women of God, if you got struggles, too, say, hey. I got one, hey, amen. Somebody real up in here. Somebody is, somebody got Jesus for real. We have struck, you know, women have struggles, too. They have struggles, unchecked idols and secret sins. We all have these things. And they try to pull us away from doing the things that God has designed it to be. You see, lust is like greed. It never satisfied. It, it, it like, it's like chasing a vapor. Like Pastor Carlos mentioned last, last week, it's like ch- chasing this vapor, trying to grab this vapor here today and gone tomorrow. But it never satisfies. It never fills. And that's why the Shulamite woman encourages her girlfriends. It says in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Do not arouse, awaken love until it's so desired. Not before or after, in, in its proper time, do not go chasing and seeking men and seeking the wrong attention. She's given that advice to, him, to, to his girl, her girlfriends because some of us desire attention more than love in its proper time. Amen? I know I'm talking to somebody. See, ladies, you are not a wife until you're found. Because the Bible says, he that finds a wife, not only finds a good thing, okay? It says, he that finds a wife, not a boo, not he that finds a side chick, not he that finds a girlfriend, not even he that finds a fiance. Because how many know, even through that time, Anything until you say I do, then you're being played with like a toy. Women, do not cheapen yourself to a toy. Men, when a man desires a woman of God, he finds a good thing. There are so many reasons why I married my wife, and not just for physical. Smart, strong, supportive. Doesn't tell me what I need to hear. Tell, doesn't, well, let me get that switched around. Let me get that switched <laughs> Scratch that. I know you out there. Doesn't tell me what I want to hear. Doesn't tell me what I want to hear. Tells me what I need to hear. There's times I'm like, honey, leave me alone. But when I say leave me alone, guess what I'm saying? I heard you. I just don't, I'm processing right now. <laughs> A good thing. Husbands, now, you could get a good-looking wife, but y'all don't even talk. You look good. I love you in the bed. We'll talk after the game. Does that sound like intimacy? Me and my wife are so intimate, and we, we do life so well that you know that you're in, you in love with someone when, when you get to that point where you say, honey, what you want to do today? And she, and, and, and she said, you want to go to Sam's Club? And you go, yeah, we'll go to Sam's Club. That's not cool. You know, y'all been together a long time. 
when Sam's Club sounds like a great thing to do. That's why I was mad when they, when they closed down in Linden. We was like, oh, where are we going to go now? Intimacy. Intimacy. See, I'm not as thin as I used to be. My arms aren't like they was talking about them bronzy arms and, you know, gazelle's legs and all that. When I was in my 20s, yeah, that was, you know what I'm saying? But things got kind of, you know. But you know what? The love never changed. The love never changed. And see, in order, in order for you to get to that point, you can't get to that to yourself. You have to walk in the spirit. You have to walk in the intimacy of God in his presence at all times because that puts certain things, desires of the flesh, in check. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, so I say, please, if I don't tell you anything else, this is what true intimacy is. So I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not able to do whatever you want. It's not whatever feels right and whatever you want to do, that's what you can do. But God can show you when you're walking in his presence and in the spirit, he can help you to overcome those desires and you can walk in his ways. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. How many of us wake up every day with that desire? You see, the only way to overcome lust is to walk in the Spirit. The only way to walk in the Spirit is to continually. Somebody say continually. Continually. Y'all preaching to me. Continually walk in the presence of God. How many know that the presence of God is not just in church? How many know that the presence of God is not just at home when you're praying to God? When you get up, you can bring that presence with you everywhere you go. You can dwell in his presence. And see, when you're in his presence, nothing like him can come in. But when you're not in his presence and you get, you, get, uh, you get filled with the desires that separate you from God, now you find yourself in this place where you're not in intimacy, but you find yourself desiring the things that you lust for. Amen? So there's so much that we can learn from Solomon's wisdom in the book about relationships. This morning we talked a lot about truth and the real deal. Love is forever, love is about kingdom, and intimacy is a must for our relationship to survive. We've learned that the counterfeit's intention is to steal and destroy the gift that God intended marriage, man and women, and sex to be. One of my favorite verses in Song of Solomon is chapter 2, verse 4. It says, let him lead me to the banqueting table and let his banner over me be love. Some of you know, I'm going to go down here and do this little part right here. So some of you know that I love to entertain. It's like my favorite thing to do. 
I love to set a beautiful table. I love to big cook a big meal and have people that I love surrounding me at the table. There is something very intimate about sitting at a table, having a meal, and sharing love. Thank you, Anthony. Oh, sweat. Okay. No, that's all right. I did. That's fine. Perfect. So that's why I think I love this verse so much because it's all about the banquet table. Um, and this wasn't, when, when the lover called her in, it wasn't just a grand hall. It wasn't a big wedding. It wasn't a noisy restaurant. This was an intimate banquet hall. And some scholars say it was even like the king's private wine room. Not the cellar, the room. So it was very intimate. And this is what God desires for us. He desires that we would dine with him at his table. Mm. He has a seat for us at that table. Um, The second part of the verse, though, is what makes it possible. Because none of us, any side that you came on from this conversation, can measure up to even sit at the table with, with God. But um, the banner that they've spoken about in this verse is really like a military banner that a king would place to show victory and possession. So Jesus' blood that was shed for us is that banner of love. It makes it possible that we can sit at the table. You see, he has the victory, and we are his possession. He loves us to the point where he wants us to sit at the table. So, as this song of invitation plays, we're about to play a song. And uh, I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Because this is a very self-reflecting time. This is where you have to answer a lot of questions for yourself. And as this song plays, it's a song of invitation. Search your heart. Have you been entertaining counterfeit love? Husbands and wives, is your, reflect, is your relationship reflecting the kingdom? Single men and women, are you settling for something temporary? You've all been handed a place card when you walked in. They're blank and waiting for you to take your place at the table. It is there that you can leave the counterfeit behind and choose to walk in his presence and experience the real deal. So as you look at that card, look at that as the invitation God is calling you to let go of this counterfeit, to let go of the temporary, and come to take your place that he set for you at the table to start this relationship with him that will last forever. This is definitely a hard check time. This is, this is between you and God. And if that's you, when this song plays, come forward because God will lead you. Hallelujah. Just as your name is written in the book, Lamb's Book of Life, you wrote your name saying, I receive your invitation. And what you see here 
hate. The older you get, you get sappy, you know what I'm saying? But what you see here are the people that are not settling for the counterfeit any longer. Your name is at this table. You are a child of God. God has been waiting for a long time for your name, for you to accept his invitation and come to this table. You have a place at the table. A place in righteousness. A place in the kingdom of God when you dine. Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door, I will come in and sup with them. And they with me. If you've received that, I want you to close your eyes. And we're going to pray. Because we're not going to fall for the culture any longer. We're not going to go for what feels right, but we're going to do what is right. As a child of God. Feasting at the table with our Heavenly Father who truly knows us and truly loves us. Father, I thank you, God, for this time. Thank you, God, for acceptance, for accepting us in spite of who we are, for loving us and showing us the truth in spite of our mistakes and our past and our failures. God, all is forgiven at your table. And anyone that is in Christ, God, we accept the fact that we are new creations doing new things, living a new life, walking a new walk, talking a new talk. Father, we thank you for the truest love ever that will last, not only in this life, but even in the life to come after. We thank you, God, for your unrelenting love. And we thank you, God, fulfilling us with you as we've emptied ourselves of the counterfeit. God, we receive you. I pray that every heart, that this won't be a one-night stand, God. But, Lord, they would take this with them every day. And that we would share the kingdom of God as we get to know you. I pray that we would share the kingdom of God everywhere we go. That we would bring your light and your presence everywhere, God. And even those single men and women, I pray, God, that they will follow your kingdom ways. That they will know true intimacy with you. And that they will know true intimacy when they find their spouse. God, we accept and receive your truth and your way. And we will walk in that for the rest of our lives. From this moment on, in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Go walk in true intimacy. God bless you. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. 
See you next time.